Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about season four, episode three, titled Radopiarlo. I don't know how to say this. It's an Italian word that essentially means double it or a doubling of something. Um, double. Yeah, pour it on. Whatever whatever trouble you got, make it double. Sure, Team double Rocket. down on all your mistakes, uh, everything like that. Yeah. What well, what did you think of this episode? Uh, <laughs> Turned it around on you. I, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know how this season of Fargo is coalescing for me. It's not... Like I mentioned in the first two episodes, it's it's a little different in tone than some of the other seasons of Fargo. Um, not necessarily in a bad way. It's just I haven't quite settled into this season yet. Um, and I think like some of the acting is maybe throwing me off a little bit. Um, but I don't know. There, there are still a couple of really good scenes uh, in this episode that I... Thoroughly enjoyed. Doctor Senator continues to impress me, um, mm. and the the other really good scene is the attempted assassination scene. Uh, what what do you think of it? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying about the tone. I mean, I watched Fargo, and a lot of times I'm kind of like, oh boy, I wonder where they're going with this, or like I. I get really gripped up into a scene and then, you know, something ridiculous happens. And I always ask myself, like, am I cool with that? And almost always I am. And I find that um, I worry that the show kind of goes off the rails sometimes. But then it I I, I don't know. It goes off in the rails in a very smart, calculated way. I, I posted or I put on something on Twitter along the lines of is Fargo trying to, like, wrest the smartest stupid show title from Rick and Morty? (laughs) <laughs> because you have this show that's full of largely cartoon characters, mm-hmm. but they're saying and doing some really interesting things, and then they have fart attacks, and they got vomit and shit coming out of both ends of their system, and yeah. uh, you know Timothy Oliphant will do a three-minute uh, sermon on Mormonism, and it's... But it's all very compelling and well done, and all. And like the thing is, is like the characters and the settings are sometimes outlandish, but they never act that way from within it. You know, like uh, just because we're in the middle of this high stakes robbery where someone got shotgunned across the room, and we're now farting and throwing up everywhere, the scene doesn't turn into slapstick. Right. Right. It's just a funny thing that's happening. Like if if that actually happened to Swanee and Zalmera. Or Zalmer, I think that's how it would happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like all of a sudden they're slipping and falling their ass, and so it 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 does it does work for me. And I also think they're trying to, um, and 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 I think Holly does an okay job. They're trying to do this thing where they're telling stories from different perspectives. You know, like uh, Loy Cannon is putting forth a um, an argument about some form of black conservatism in this episode, which you don't see represented a lot. And I thought it was a pretty well-written scene, but there's a, there's a couple of notes that rung false to me as a former conservative. Hmm. Um, maybe we can get into that. But no, overall, I think that this show is doing a lot of interesting heavy lifting. And it's also just also entertaining, entertaining as hell, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's nothing else on TV like this show, so I, I don't want to be, you know, too harsh on it when it's, it, it maybe doesn't hit the perfect tone because it's trying things are so, so far removed from the norm uh, that occasionally it's not going to hit the perfect tone. And I think 
more often than not, it does. So I'm willing to forgive when it yeah. doesn't. Uh, but yeah, I'm still yeah. I'm still just trying to settle into what it's doing this season. That's a little yeah. bit different. Like like you know Noah Hawley made a decision early in Fargo or not Fargo Legion. This you know this the show he made about X Men mutants and telepathy and psychic battles to like represent battles on the astral plane as like dance battles. Uh-huh. And if that instinct had gone wrong, then the show just doesn't fucking work, right? Sure, but sure. he. He made that instinct uh, to pay off, and you're exactly right. Like, I'll forgive a lot of people trying to do weird shit, and some of it's going to fail. Some of it's not always going to stick, but, like, I, I admire that refusal to kind of play it safe because yeah. there's, there, is a, there is a Cohen Fargo formula that you could hew to very carefully, and, um, you know, most, like, most people would be, be very happy, but you wouldn't get the crosswalking fart assassination of, of with a bb gun last last episode and it's yeah. it's worth a few belly flops to get those those moments out of the show at least in my opinion mm-hmm. here are the highlights coming up this week on bald move our coverage of hot d fire and blood and the 1980s shogun miniseries continues but then on tuesday for the first time in 35 years we asked a question who framed roger rabbit Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV+, and we'll have a pair of podcasts, quantumly linked, ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints... Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. 
I want to start like moving into a structured discussion of the episode by talking about, you know, we left last episode just waiting to get some uh, Timothy Oliphant, U.S. Marshal 50s action. And we got a whole big dose in this episode as as uh, his presence as U.S. Marshal Dick Deffy Whitquare is uh, c- comes into focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, is it a problem that Timothy Oliphant apparently is so strictly typecast now? Because like, no, I don't. Yeah, I I don't have a problem at all. Like when he comes in with his long, lanky Raylan Givens walk, which is every bit as distinctive as Tom Cruise's run, and he like his first essential uh, introduction to us uh, and his character is him mugging in front of uh, the camera and slowly putting a cowboy hat on his head and like getting it just so like no I'm that's that's kind of what I'm here for I would be upset if he played it some you know like 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 uh, you know like a Minnesota cop or something you know yeah no that that's that's what you hire. Uh, Timothy Oliphant for at this point, although he's done other work, I, I've seen him in uh, things like Santa Clarita Diet, where it's it's just pure comedy. He's playing a very different Hated character. It. I uh, yeah, I I <laughs> kind of enjoyed that show, um, though man, it's it's a silly show. Uh, but yeah, he he's done other stuff. But this is why you want Timothy Oliphant. You want him because he's the guy from Deadwood. You want him because he's the guy from Justified. Like. Putting him in this U.S. Marshal position, uh, you know, with the big hat, with everything is perfect. It's perfect. You know, usually he plays, I I think, and you're right. This is essentially uh, Timothy Oliphant's kind of character for several things that he's played. Um, And I know he can do other things, but mm-hmm. but he, he does do this. He does it really well. It's like... Uh, you know, um, Mike Ehrmantraut, Jonathan Banks can do a lot of things too, but he does that dead-eyed mackerel stare, and that's kind of what you want him for. Sure. Um, it's interesting that he's playing someone that um, is pretty reactionary and what we would call by 2020 standards uh, bad, you mm-hmm. know? Like, he's got he's got a lot of racist views. He's got a lot of very socially conservative views, no doubt. Um you know, he's just like, uh, I, I don't know how much um, appetite there is for a strictly law and order, no shades of gray, no discretion kind of lawman uh, in 2020. But uh, so he's not like, you know, Raylan, it's always fun to see him being this verbally playful, um, you know, uncompromising hard ass because he's always, you know, usually fighting the good fight. Same thing with Seth Bullock, you know, like he was always uh, punching up. Right. Um it will be interesting to see him kind of play something of a heel with mm-hmm. within this likable, charming character because he is still very likable and charming. Oh yeah, um, I like what they're doing with the the imagery of him, you know, going around sniffing sheets and sniffing lipstick, and they're they're out. making him into the bloodhound. Even the, even when they have bloodhounds, like literally bloodhounds, in the back of the shot, <laughs> sniffing do, around, do. he doesn't need them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's interesting. What did you think of his, uh, the fact that they're, they're hanging a lot of things on his, uh, religious belief as a, as a Mormon elder? See, I don't know much about everything I know about Mormons comes from the book of Mormon, uh, which is, <laughs> play, you know, the South right. Park guys, yeah, doing a stage play. So I, I know very little about Mormonism. I don't know how it could possibly affect his, uh, outcome in this show. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, one of my best friends is a is a Mormon cop, actually, and one of my be- other best friends' wives is an ex Mormon. Um, so I've gotten, you know, like and like I've seen that, and I also as a you know former Jehovah's Witness, I know that they had. I had some kind of like felt like we were like distant second cousins because you know if you if you ever saw clean cut young men walking down the street in pairs, it's a good bet they're either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if they're wearing short sleeve uh, shirts with like you know, more more uh, plain solid ties, probably more Mormon. But um, I, I but but yeah, we actually have a, um, a I think a former Mormon that wrote into the show to, to kind of clue us in on some of this background material. Um, it's a real fact that like, yeah, there was a, there's a, there's a book on the Missouri state law that you could shoot Mormons on site. Uh, that, that's, that's a real wow. thing that they were talking about in this episode. It didn't get repealed. Okay. When do you think this thing got repealed? <laughs> Two weeks ago. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, they got a, The Missouri state legislator got an advanced screener copy and they're like, uh-huh. ah, we can worry about COVID, the economy. You know what? You know what? We got to get this off the books. We right. can't have, we can't have Mormons not moving into Missouri. So 1975 is when they finally, Damn. it was put on in like 1830 during this intense border war going on between the, the Mormon settlers and I guess the other folks of Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's all it's all interesting stuff. And throwing him in with the other oddball cop, um, what is a Weff? Uh, Detective Weff is also an interesting choice because they I they 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 picked um this uh, Deffy guy as like incorruptible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, he's working for what I would call as a corrupt institution in in a, in a corrupt age. But like you know, from the system's perspective, he's like an untouchable, upright, moral character. Doesn't drink, doesn't even have caffeine, um, and we know that Weff is bent, is bent as a coat hanger. Yeah, where do you think that's going? I mean, they got to pit them against each other at some point. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know quite yet. It also uh, kind of paints Weff as a guy who is not. 100% dedicated to his job either. Um, so it's, it's not even just that he's bent, but also he doesn't seem as good uh, at his job, as dedicated to it as as Deffy is. Because, uh, you know, there's a scene where they're searching for uh, the the outlaws, the fugitives in the basement, uh, in the mortuary, and they're opening drawers and they get to the last drawer, the second to last drawer, they open it up, there's a, a disgusting rotted body in there and they all just run from the room, right? They don't check the last drawer, which the last one, right? I have to think the bloodhound would have we would have sniffed out that drawer almost immediately. That's true, and I wonder if there'll be fallout when he realizes that uh, you know, Weff Weff whiffed on on that. <laughs> Weff got a whiff and then whiffed on the the case. He sure did. Um, but I I think it's interesting too because um, yeah, like I don't know because Weff. He's got this thing where he says the you know 21st century opinion of kind of like hey you know everyone that's not this dark it's it's not like everyone who's shade darker than a Norseman's got sin in their hearts, mm-hmm. but he is actually a corrupt cop working for a mafia gangster. Yeah, and we got an incorruptible cop that's kind of racist working on the other side of the case. I I think it's interesting the tension they're putting between those two characters. Mm-hmm. Also, what do you make of um? It's kind of entertainment. Timothy Oliphant's character Deffy got that name because he just doesn't hear shit he doesn't want to. Like every and time in this episode, um, yeah, it's weird. 
every time Weff tries to like get a rise out of him, like you know, challenge him to step out, he's like, "Pardon," and then you know, like, "Go fuck your aunt and uncle." How's that? Like, I wonder what's going to happen when he comes up against a person who's just not going to stop telling, you know, who's not going to be intimidated by that. Like, how how far will he pull that, or is like? That's his first move. His second move is Raylan Givens micro flash drawing of a gun and putting up someone with <laughs> right. a bullet in, in their O and their, uh, yeah, the O ring. I, I could see a scene between him and Gaetano uh, being pretty entertaining in that regard. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause yeah, he, you got, you got crazy eyes versus Deffy. Uh huh. The man with the incredible know. sight versus the man with ears that can't hear. Who who will win? The yeah. man with the eyes that see everything versus <laughs> the man whose ears who see nothing or hear nothing. Um, I, I, I can't more, help but I, think he's like keeping a tally, right? He, he's like he hears these things. Obviously, he's not sure. He's not deaf in the literal sense. Like sure, I can't help but think he's got this running tally of people who have insulted him, said things to him they didn't want to hear. Um, yeah, tucking things away and, and then telling people like, oh, I didn't, you know, making people think he didn't hear things that he did hear it, that that's a, a smoke screen, I think, of some kind. Yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm thinking this might be a three step tango. Like step one is pardon me. Come again. How is that? Uh, please. Step two is I'm trying not to hear that. See, Step three is kapow, you know? Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to, you know, and no one's ever pushed him past that first step uh, in this episode anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought the I thought it was really spooky the way they set up the, like, Morgrade and having this uh, this Wef guy who's just a, you know, a, a, a bundle of nerves. Um, he's got this one little, two little, like, three little Indian deal. That's going to be a doozy of a revelation, right? Like, whatever war story that they're going to flash back to tell us how he got that particular tick is going to be some kind of fucking deal. Or, yeah. I don't know, maybe he just has OCD and he got it, you know, there's, like, not much to it. Definitely has that. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, was it caused by something? Was it? Yeah. Oh, we'll see. How does this guy lead raids? Like, could he even do a no-knock raid? No, he tries to, he tries to, like, sneak into this mortuary, right? This, or this morgue it's... or whatever they got. And he's there flipping the lights four times. And, I, I mean, if you needed a warning that the cops were coming, this this guy's your man. Maybe maybe that's his problem. They thought, thought he was working for them because every time he was do, going to do a raid on their facilities, <laughs> he always had to turn the lights on and off. Like, and they got all, the, got all got out the back door. And it's like, hey... Yeah, Paisano, you're working for us now. Um, but yeah, the, the rotted corpse is disgusting, and it also just shows something about Swanee and Zelmer, Zelmera, uh, that they are they're pretty rough and tumble, mm-hmm. you know. Like that made three strong men flee the room throwing up, and they're like right underneath that thing. Although I guess I thought those those things would be kind of hermetically sealed. Like you wouldn't think that like the the one below would be smelling terrible but i they got lucky yeah. i guess no it doesn't look like it um you know there, there aren't any rubber gaskets or anything you know, no seals on those drawers but i imagine in yeah. real life there would have to be right plus it's supposed to be it's got to be refrigerated too yeah i mean yeah so i would think that would be, although although you know having something going bad in the fridge is it's not like being making it cold uh, uh if, unless it's frozen it's still going to be pretty right. pretty bad but um, 
they also uh so uh Daffy corners uh um Ethel Rita's mom and her family and you know he's got her I, I saw as soon as they sit down they got a they got five place mats and there's only three people there like do you mm. think that um they ran uh Dicky Deffy Weefy whatever <laughs> Wick, 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 where do you think they ran him off? Did he buy all that shit that they were saying or no, I don't think so. He just knew he wasn't getting anywhere. Uh, yeah, yeah. but I, maybe I'm reading too much into that. I, I don't know who this guy is yet. I, I can't just like say, oh, this is Raylan Givens, right? And, and Raylan right. knows when he needs to back off and give them time right. to make a mistake, something like that. I, I don't know who this guy is, but that was my read on it. Yeah. I mean, he, he definitely, I don't know. She laid on the the Jesus Christ stuff pretty thick, which I think he is. Maybe that's his weak point. Um, hmm. But also just the way they played it, where he held their gaze like intensely for f- like five, six, seven heartbeats, and then just instantly, okay, well, sorry, you know, have a great evening. I'll talk to you guys later. Um, it doesn't seem like he bought it. But also, if he comes back, they're going to be gone. Do do you think that I guess that's the other question to Swanee and Zell Mir after they do this ill-fated raid on the cannons are they are they going to come right back to their sister's house or are they going to have a stash of their own God I hope they don't go back there cuz you know she's saying uh how much danger they're putting them in and I agree I don't really want them in that house um but that's one the the like lesser known Coen Brothers films Lady Killers with Tom mm-hmm. Hanks like as this weird uh, off-putting Colonel Sanders type who's got a gang of like bank robbers and they are taking refuge within this woman's house without her knowledge. I think she thinks they're a group of musicians or something. So I'm wondering if they're, is this going to be a constant consternation? These, these people coming in and out of the house and attracting all the, the wrong, I mean, you're, that keeps up. You're going to have all kinds of attention, not just, oh, yeah. not just legitimate law enforcement, but you're going to have FADA and cannon enforcers after you, I think. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I also, I, I talked about, um, Amber Midthunder, um, the character who played, uh, or the actor who played, um, one of the Carrie Loudermilks from Legion being, um, Swanee Cap. And I was wrong. Apparently she was cast in this role. And I guess, uh, Uba Aduba, or Duza was, it was Uza Aduba was, um, Crazy Eyes from, uh, Orange and the New Black was cast to play Zalmer, but sometimes that somehow that got changed late in the process. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the official like official sources and like wikis and stuff were still listing her as playing the character. Uh, but it got switched to Ke- Kelsey uh, as Billy, who has been in the show Wild River and Yellowstone. Because like, this episode, I'm like, there's no fucking way this is Amber Mid Thunder. She's wearing prosthetics or something because like it's close, but no way is exactly. And several people emailed me. The first one is Eddie, uh, a guy by the name Eddie. Let me know that I got that wrong. So sorry, okay. but like <laughs> I did, I did the research. It's just a lot of these sites still hadn't updated the 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 real character's name. So yeah, I wonder. I want because like if when you look at these characters, you can see that original casting. It's like oh, they were looking for a particular type of character and person to play this. I wonder what went wrong that they switched from fairly established, recognized faces that had worked with Holly. Well, in one case, it worked with Holly before to these other people. Um, yeah, a lot of time it's just scheduling. Mm. Yeah, especially if the but man, it could it, it, this had to all gone down before the shutdown because imagine if they had the 
You yeah. know, you're not going to reshoot all that shit just because someone can't go back for a week's worth of shooting, right? Right. Like, damn. Right. Anyway. Um, so that's kind of it with the 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 Timothy Oliphant stuff this week. Do you want to talk about shit that went on with the the Cannon Gang? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm a big fan of <laughs> Doctor Senator Esquire. Uh, damn, damn. <laughs> he's everything. What he's a the fucking... trifecta. That's a name that marches in and takes charge. It, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I, we didn't know he was a lawyer before this, did we? I think they mentioned that he had a doctorate in econ- economics and, and law, but I I, I know he had a doctorate okay. in something. But but yeah, yeah, the Esquire yeah. was a bit of a surprise. Yes, it surprised me. Um, but this story he tells and the scene he has in the diner with uh, one of the Italian guys, I, I think is he he might be one of the best actors on this show. Um, Damn, yeah, he he fits right into that role and that the story he tells, you know about going to Nuremberg for the trials and interrogating this dude for uh, months, years, I don't know, however long it was, um, taking his report back to his CO and him throwing it in the trash. Uh, That's all, you know, in service of demonstrating that essentially, like, you get the respect you can take, um, I think is what he's trying to say there. Uh, You got to fight for everything you get. And the whatever deals there are are always subject to change. Um, and so, you know, they find themselves sort of pitted against the Italian mob here um, by saying, no, we're not backing down on the slaughterhouse. Yeah, we OK, you know that we know that this whole thing with the old Don is it, it just a farce. It, it was never real, um, but it doesn't matter. We're, like we've taken them. We want them. They're ours now. And I mean, it's setting up a huge amount of tension to come. Like, you know, Gitano already tries to act on it. And I don't know what Justo is going to do. Um, but I'm, this is probably the most interesting part of it to me, uh, of the entire story. Like, more than, you know, what's going on with catching the fugitives or any of that stuff. It's, it's this canon Fada rivalry. Yeah. The actual mafia shit. Um, I agree. This scene was amazing. And this guy, Glenn Turman, um, the thing that I most recognize him for is he plays the the corrupt Mayor Royce of uh, Baltimore in The Wire that the Mayor Carsetti okay. eventually takes takes over from. Uh, but this guy is so good. This scene where he's like, talking about it's like this one long, like four minute monologue take just staring right into his eyeballs. Um, it's... Uh, it's really good. It's really good because like it really sells this whole like, you know, he goes in that V the double V for victory that you're striking a, a blow for your country, but you're also striking a blow for your fellow black man. And there's going to be no more lynchings and blackjacks at the polls. And yeah, you know, I've checked sure. my history books and things didn't get better after 1945 for right. African-Americans. It turns out um, I thought that stuff was great. And the fact that like the okie doke that, that, that keeps happening, like, um, you know, he thinks this is it. Like, I, by God, I've been called for my skills and my education and my training to take this Nazi down, make this case for the people, and he does. He does a beautiful job. Um, and and it all gets thrown in the trash, like, ju- and just for a power play between two other between two white dudes, you know? Yeah, using his race uh, as a, a vector of humiliation for the other guy. It's yeah, 
And it just, I, I think these scenes like doing a really good job of showing like, you know, that, that shell game that is whiteness because, you know, Dr. Senator is speaking to this, uh, uh, Fada consigliere, like he is an establishment white part of the white race, um, which, you know, give him a couple years, <laughs> mm-hmm. give him a few dozen years, he'll get there. Um, but you know, if you'd ask that guy, whether he's white, probably he would say no. Um, yeah, it's, and you just keep going back secession layers like Irish, you know, Jewish, like the 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 layer the the, the layers of white the of assimilated whiteness um, mm-hmm. that some people can't attain. It's it's a great scene, and a great a great performance, and like you said, because now like do the cannons like now that they got this, why would they stop? Do they just want that little taste, or are they going to keep pushing? Um, yeah, um, and there's no reason to stop. And, yeah, and you know we'll get into the what's going on in the Fada gang here in a bit. But um, what did you make of the scene uh, where Loy Cannon's going into his his stronghold and he's accosted by a guy who's kind of like down in his luck? They imply that he might be uh, on drugs and 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 whatnot. What did you make of that scene? I, I'm not 100 percent sure what to make of it. Um, I I see that scene and I start to think like, oh, is is this like pointing out some kind of a sense of entitlement? Is this, uh, you know, trying to like create a class division? Like what what is going on here? I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. Um, I think that like Holly's trying to do like, like, um, like, I, like I mentioned in the, the preamble of the show, he's trying to advance an argument for like some kind of black conservatism um you know uh and i think the only thing that rang false to me because like i, I it, it's funny watching this scene as a as as kind of like from my political vantage point now i'm a, i'm a lot closer to to loy's son's point of view than i am to loy but like what i thought was false is um when he took the 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 money roll out and the guy's eyes glazed over like he was literally see- I felt like that was overplaying the scene like mm-hmm. he should have played it like the guys like oh man maybe Lloyd's actually going to get he's like this super generous guy and look how much money he's got maybe he is going to change my life and then Loy can kind of like he could be like, oh man, I can't believe you're going to. And then Loy can fuck with him, but just having him go over it like it was a he's like a some some kind of slavering dog. I thought was yeah bizarre. It's like okay, that that's that's um you know uh Aaron Sorkin like like that's that's like the the type of conservative scene Aaron Sorkin where he just mm-hmm. can't help himself by making it utterly dismissive and dehumanizing <laughs> instead of just like you know, survive kind of like you know, essentially a lot of conservative points come down to survival of the fittest. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, it would be nice to be able to take care of everybody. But unfortunately, in the real world, we have limited amounts of resources and funds. And if we did that, then everybody would be poor and broke and dying. And we'd have no law and we had no order and everything would be chaos. And it's that versus like, well, OK. And then, you know, I think a thinking person listens to both of those approaches and decides, well, I don't know how much money do we have? How much wealth do we have? Um, but like I said, I thought it was so close to being, being good. And it also is an, in, it, it's a, it's an interesting starting point for the relationship he has with his oldest son and, and himself. Um, what's his oldest son named? Lemuel? Lemuel, something like that. That I'm sounds right. i to get these yeah. characters' names down. Yeah. Eventually, like episode seven, I'll get him. Uh, sure. So, so they, you know, when you, when you point it out that way, it sort of seems like the, it's of a piece with what Dr. Senator is saying, right? It's it's about the 
you know, for Dr. Senator, it's about the respect and the deal you can force, um, the respect you can, you can take. Um, yeah. And here it's the financial component of that, right? It's about the money that you earn, um, not the money that's given to you. Yeah. And I think that's, you're, you're right. Cause that's another okie doke. I think a lot of people are, um, the deal was if you stay in school, you work hard, you keep your nose clean, you should get ahead in America. Yeah. But for far too many people, especially young people, that has turned out to be kind of a joke that like there mm-hmm. is an infinite amount of work you can make. You, It doesn't matter whether you're doing something grossly illegal or immoral. It doesn't matter matter if you do all the right things. You can still get fucked if you get sick or if you're born in the wrong neighborhood or, or if, you're or born if you get black. caught up with the wrong people. <laughs> right. Sure. Like, sure. The, these Which, are the people yeah. who feel this the most intensely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you've got an example of like, you know, Loy Cannon, one of the guys who's starting to escape this gravitational force. And now, you know, he's a he's a big believer of the American dream. And this guy in the streets, just, you know, just just a bum who's uh, right. wanting to see himself as making a future for himself versus and getting a handout versus, um, you know, like, I don't know, is is maybe maybe a problem is like we don't do a good job of offering the actual american dream to enough people or ma- making sure that they have the, the the skills and resources available to get that no matter what start they have sure you know like it's it's is it's it's loy cannon's epic like you know monologue against this guy this bum versus the bum walking around saying that ain't right that ain't right this guy's got a pocket full of cash i got nothing what the fuck mm-hmm. um that's going to be interesting tension between him and his his, his family yeah, for sure. Um, but let me ask you, how are you feeling about Chris Rock uh, three episodes in? Because I'm looking at this scene and I'm going, God, I just watched, you know, like a year ago, maybe American Gangster. Um, yeah. Where Denzel is playing this kind of guy ish. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's maybe a little, you know, he's he's cranked up to 11. Um, yeah. It's 20 years and, down the line from from Loy Cannon. Right. So he's got a little bit more. Yeah. But I can't help but think, man, I want Denzel in this role. Like, I want someone of that caliber. I want someone of Dr. Senator's caliber, as far as, you know, acting goes, um, in this role. And and it almost requires it to get these points across to make me feel the weight of them. And I just, I, I'm not quite sure that Chris Rock is bringing, you know, that perfect performance that I need from this. See, I think, again, uh I, I see what you're saying, and and I, I I was thinking the same thing. Like, is Chris Rock nailing this? And I think he like is brought in for scenes like this because there's this moment where you're you're not really sure what he's getting up to, and he ha- kind of gives you like this uh, Chris Rock almost uh, on stage, but like like look at the performance I'm about to give. Like, look, I'm about to I'm about to blow this guy's wig back. Sure. Um, where to me it's really working, and it also really works when he's talking like one on one to Doctor Senator about like consigliere shit. Mm-hmm. But I no, I can I can definitely see your. I can it's just, it's like a point. nine out of ten, right? It, it's like almost there, almost there. And for a guy mm-hmm. who is known as a stand-up comedian, this is really good perform. Like I'm watching Seinfeld uh, with my wife over the last you know few weeks. Mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld doesn't get into a role like this. Jerry Seinfeld couldn't pull off anything even close to this. Chris Rock is doing a great job for a stand-up comedian, but he's not he's not a top tier A-list actor like, like a Denzel. Well, you know. know, I'm, I'm thinking like, is this an intentional juxtaposition with Jason Schwartzman? Cause you can say the same thing about I, him. And I do. Yeah. Like, here's the episode. thing. Here's the thing. Like, I think these guys both have to do something, um, 
psychotic or they have to they have to make me believe that um they have some kind of force of personality that would cause rough men to follow them and not just push their sh- push over their popsicle stand and take all their money right sure um now you know Johto's got the or Josto jo- uh, he's got the the much tougher fight along that front in this season, but like, yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and it might be that this is an intentional juxtaposition that these guys are not exactly cut out to be these figures. And I don't know. I have this working theory that like maybe the lesson at the end of this is going to be um, moderates working together in harmony rather than hard asses running roughshod. Like there might be some kind of um, uh, the, like like blended harmony that would lead to a guy like Mike Milligan down the line, rather than like all out continued cycles of warfare, which is yeah an optimistic take for 2020. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's one that we need though. Like I, uh-huh. I, I can't remember I said this, but I, I I think it was in the boys uh, podcast where I was talking about like I hope they're gonna make this congresswoman be a genuine like true blue yeah, good yeah, yeah. congresswoman because god damn it we need some good examples of that in media right 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 uh, yeah. yeah you need a little bit of unity in your media uh to encourage uh-huh. unity uh, amongst the populace and and maybe that's where they're going i don't know um yeah, they're like they just neither one of them are the type that's going to go to the mattresses and you know die screaming holding a razor blade to each other's throat it's like there is signs that they are kind of like business-like about it, and there might be some kind of way to peacefully coexist or merge. Like, isn't that how all the big? Yeah, I mean, that's what they're trying know, to do like, with Rabbi, right? Like, we, and we talked, yeah, and we talked about this with the banking concerns, like how like the little banks that refuse to play these, like they eventually get steamrolled and bought. Like, maybe this is a merger of the Fada uh, canon concern into some, you know, can, like new Kansas City mafia that that survives. That's kind of like my long term theory for how the show is going to go, and that would suit yeah. having two essentially people who are more noted for making us laugh than making us shit our pants. But I, I also wouldn't surprise me if like um, I think Chris Rock is capable of pulling a, ter- a scary performance out of him, and it would be even more effective. Like, you know, when Elijah Woods plays that psychopath in like Sin City, right? It's super fucking creepy to see Elijah Woods as a cannibal because you think of him as Frodo. He's the sweet kid from North and uh, from Deep Impact and whatnot. Like, you know, seeing those elfin features employed for psychopathy is uniquely creepy. I I think, I I think he can maybe pull that off. Yeah, he needs that one big scene that's really going to push him over the edge for me. Um, I thought the scene with with Dr. Senator where they're talking about tornadoes, like I thought that was really good. You know, he has uh-huh. this thing where he appropriately deals with this managerial instincts of this young, this young gun, Leon, his organization. And then he's like, you think this is the right play? Oh, yeah. It's like, well, you know, God gave us tornadoes to teach us kind of humility before chaos. And when Hen said, yeah, no, that's right. But then again, you can raise the odds. I thought that was a really cool scene for him. Yeah, do they do they go anywhere with that? Does he just say you can raise the odds, and then that's the last we see of him in this episode? No, because they they have the 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 closing consigliere scene where they're trying to process the simultaneous hit on his son and the um the numbers house. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you want to, we can talk about. Uh, I was going to go over to the the Swanee Zalmer uh stuff. 
because they're like doing a lot of comic relief in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that like tense scene outside Nick's safe house, and it kind of scrolls over to the, the pans over to them, and they're talking like ten. 10 inside versus five out. You know what that means? Yeah. We're going to have to reload. Like, uh-huh. That's such a great, it, it's such a, it's such a great scene of bravara, uh, bravado. I thought, um, I just, man, these, these guys are, the, these two women are very, very likable. Um, sure. and they've got that kind of like comic intensity, but also they're, you know, I have to cut you in half with a shotgun if you give them any lip. So, mm-hmm. um, and what? I just kept waiting, like the, this whole pie thing um, that's going on throughout this episode. You know, it's it's <laughs> ironic in a way. Like there are so many guns in this scene, and 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 Chekhov's working on the pie level, <laughs> yeah, uh, as opposed to the guns. I Chekhov's I don't know. Betty crocking it. I kept waiting for it to hit, and like it sort of like I don't know, slow rolled it a little bit. Like you've mm-hmm. got her. With some intense stomach problems. And when they were in the trunk face to face, I'm thinking, oh no, this epicac's about to kick in and it's gonna get real bad oh, real fast. That's I yeah, I was waiting for like the mouth to mouth kiss vomit. Like yep. I was not prepared. I was I was preparing myself for what was about to happen. Yeah. I, you know, I think I was almost over prepared for what was about to happen. I was invi- the things mm-hmm. that were coming to my head were so much worse than what actually ended up happening that I was sure. slightly let down by the, the chaos that erupted in the 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 heist scene, although yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed that scene. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I, I, it had maybe given me a little too much time to spin a fiction in my own head. Yeah. They're doing some interesting, they're doing some interesting work there too. Like there's two prominent kissy faces being made. Um, one to guy from Gaetano to uh, uh, Josto and the other from Zalmer. She blows kissy faces at this uh, one of Loy's man. I wonder yeah. if there's some kind of connection being made there between these. These are the agents of chaos. You've got the two organizations that could actually merge their families. You could see it happening. Mm-hmm. But you got these agents of chaos um, on, on each respective side that is going to make that very hard. And interestingly enough, the two agents of chaos working uh uh, at cross purposes, looks like orchestration from yeah. the outside, which yeah. I thought was a really, really tight piece of plotting. Yeah, um, I love how all that comes together. The way that you, you know it, it looks one way, but it could be another way, and and the leveler heads prevail in this scenario. Right? They're gonna they're gonna yeah. feel around for a while before they just go off and react. Uh, th- that that stuff is really good. the The construction yeah. of the plot here is really good. I do, I do, and I just love the scene of like Swanee like leaning up against that the the door uh, the building, like labored breathing, like belching and farting, and she's uh, <laughs> no, I can go, I can go, uh, um, and then having to go, oh my god, um, yeah, it's 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 like I said, it's a very funny scene, but in in the universe, no one's laughing because these women still have mm-hmm. guns held on them. They still have kitchen knives. Well, that's another commonality that they're drawing between Gaetano and uh, the Swanee Zelmer gang is this these prominent kitchen knives. You know, like Gaetano's always got that like fucking twelve inch chef knife on his belt. Oh right, yeah, yeah. And Swanee pinches one from uh, Ethel Rita's uh, family's kitchen. Mm-hmm. Which, like I said, I don't know what... Uh, maybe it's just the agents of chaos versus the agents of order that they're setting up. 
Um, sure. That's always a nice pairing too, right? That's how that's the mm-hmm. tension that makes the movie Casino work. That's the tension that makes like. Uh, um, um, uh, Jurassic Stringer Park Bell. Work. Well, or yeah, 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 yeah. Or like a, in the wire, Stringer Bell versus um, uh, God damn it, I uh, bet the Barksdale um organization. You know, yeah. like one is always talking about having a name out in the streets. The one's always talking about going legit. Like I ha- having that stuff set up in these two families, I think is is going to pay off narrative dividends. Mm-hmm. Um. So, do you want to talk about? Um, like I said, I we're right here at the end of the because the other thing that happens is Gaetano. Can I ask you this? I did not get from the first two episodes that this Gaetano guy was deranged. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's pretty seriously deranged. He was a tough guy, but like the stuff he was like he's a, he's a clearly a very tough guy in contrast to his his brother. Yeah, but like he is full on bug eyed crazy i mean it sounds like he grew up like he was literally raised by wolves like he grew up in the woods after his village burned uh over over in the old world right he he views you know fighting as as the only purpose in life um yeah they're warriors these fathers yeah yeah and i was picking up a little hint of like crazy um he, he was doing some weird stuff with his eyes in the first couple of episodes where it was maybe inappropriate, which tells me, okay, this guy's a little off his rocker, but this is a whole new level. It's almost too much. Like, I haven't quite sure. figured out where I set on it, but there's something about this guy who I just, I don't know if I take him fully seriously. I mean, the um, same is true of Josto, actually. Um, both of these guys are so silly in their own ways that it makes me look uh-huh. at the guy, I don't even know his name, but the guy who's sitting with Dr. Senator at the table in the diner. And going, what, why, how do you get like such lunatics and weirdos in the top ranks here when you got a guy like that who could be more level headed, who could sit there and actually run this organization with a, even a tiniest bit of sense? Yeah. Because even Josh, it's, it's like, I want to say he's the level headed guy, but he's more concerned with like taking out this Harvard guy than. You know, yeah. watching what the cannons are doing, keep holding them accountable. I, it's, it's, but it, it's, it's very bizarre. This guy, it's like Joe Pesci uh, walks this line effortlessly. Like Joe mm-hmm. Pesci's not a very physically impressive guy. He's got this weird, you know, he's got this weird, like high pitched kind of reedy way of talking. Uh, he's a funny guy, but he also can be fucking terrifying because you just, he's like that crazy person who just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, this guy is is giving me Joe Pesci energy, but I just don't know if he's got that top gear. And uh, I don't know. There's tons of feedback about, hey, you got to see this guy in Gamora. It's just an Italian, a real Italian sure. mafia, the shit. And I plan fucking, on watching. So maybe. So I'm not saying I'm not ta- I'm not saying he doesn't have that gear. It's just like you know, three episodes in, this guy's he- eyes are lolling in his head like some kind of fucking demented jack o' lantern, and he's just this this pudgy dude like sloshing from scene to scene like what 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 the hell what do you know what he's drinking by the way that like is that absinthe no i think it's limoncello uh it's a very italian kind of aperitif okay drink (laughs) alexis and i were talking about that in that scene we were like is he drinking limoncello he's gotta be like it's these elaborate glasses i figured it was some kind of like thing Um, is it very alcoholic uh fairly have to, like, yeah. drink pitchers okay okay no. like he's 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 drinking it like it's water holy shit yeah 
Um, and they're setting up that battle within the family, which I think is interesting in terms of Rabbi Milligan, you know, when there's questions about whether he's loyal to the family. I mean, I think he's pretty loyal to the family. He's keeping the family. He's he's like really serving the family's best interest and not just being a yes man, which is also something that kind of like ties in thematically to Deffy versus uh, Weff. Um, you know, he's saying like, yeah, I'm not saying that I won't do this. I'm just saying like, this seems like a bum play. And like, who did it, who did this order come from? And like, who was her actual boss? And yeah, I mean, do you think Rabbi is probably the best character uh they've got going in this show because he's that amalgamation yeah. he is like, like when he says you know he's he's not irish he's american uh that couldn't be more true right he's he's the mutt he's he's the mix of everything that is american um yeah he, he's a he's what an irish kid who was raised pot, jewish yeah. and then traded to the italians like uh-huh it's it's all of those things mixed up in one that's what america is and if we can't if we can't figure that shit out uh, and understand that, yeah, we're just, we're all just a bunch of mix of a whole bunch of things. Let's just all get over our individual hangups on that stuff and, and work I'm together. I'm telling you, man, uh, what if, what if I'm, what if I'm wrong is Josto and Gaetano both have to go and, and Rabbi, Rabbi Milligan takes, takes over to fa- fa- family and merges with the uh, cannons. And that's how, yeah, I could I see it. I, Cause you're right. He's got, he is the Michael Corleone in this family. He's he's like two, he's like two families cuckooed away from it. But like, he is the Michael Corleone. (laughs) You've got, Oh my God, the fathers. Yes. The fathers you've got, you got, you got, um, uh, you've got Santino. Okay. You know, the bull head. Yep. You got the hotheads, good fighter, but it's got no goddamn common sense. And you got Mm -hmm. Fredo who is just, as far as I can tell, useless. He's sure. just the like one-off factory defect, and the true fucking steal, Michael Corleone, is uh, Rabbi Milligan. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I don't. And they do. They they even draw conspicuous things to like names and what does it even mean? Because like you know, uh, Lloyd's got this other really nice monologue about, uh, you know, uh, his his boy trying to cite proxy war, Cold War theory at him, and he's like, no, 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 these other boys have their own names. Your last name's Cannon. That means you're me. Um, mm-hmm. I I I wonder if they're trying to say something there about. Like I said, I, this if I, if I'm right on this theory, this is all going to look like really great foreshadowing. Which I don't know. I feel like makes the theory look pretty good. Sure. Um, and that's the other thing I, I felt like because you've got these warring. Um, you've got the uh, Lloyd Cannons. You know, self-made man. Uh, go out and get your own thing, hustle versus, you know, got your hand out, stealing someone else's money, blah, 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 versus that ain't right. And you've got, uh, you know, this other line by Lemuel, um, whether you can't have both mores, you know, more say you can't be more safe, more power. You can have less power, more safe. You can have more power, less safe. Did I get that right? But you can't, you can't ever maximize both those quantities. I thought that was an amazing point. Yeah. Um, you know, the more power you get, the more people are going to try to come gunning for you. Uh, where if you share power, you have less power. It's 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 you know perhaps more democratic. Uh, that's that spreading that stuff around is the safest for everybody. And, but that and was you, all pretty the, good too. I mean, it's true of almost everything. Uh, I mean, it's probably true of literally everything uh, in the universe. You know, like if you're if you're a gamer, yeah. if you're a nerdy gamer, and you play RPGs, you should understand this, right? The the concept right. of min maxing. You only have uh-huh. so many points to go around. Either 
you know, and in terms of like uh, what we were talking about earlier with with the the money, um, and, and you know how that affects our society and how some people have everything, some people have nothing. This is a zero sum game um, in almost every regard. You're never going to get to any kind of reasonable uh, situation unless you can find a balance between the two extremes. And and yeah. that's true of goddamn everything in life. Um, and I just like I think that this is, you know, you mentioned this the scene at the end being like just a real pleasure to see these these guys are having they got they got good information they got to have accurate information but they're drawing the wrong conclusions from it. Yeah. Um, and then them like Doctor Senator kind of slowing things down and being like, well, what if this is Night of the Long Knives? Which if you you know that was like the mid thirties purge that Hitler made of like consolidating all his power in Germany. You know, he had these like uh, you know, paramilitary brown shirts running around doing violence in his name. And it's like, ah, oh, we need to bring this a little bit more in control. This could be actually a rival organization. So he ganks all, this could be the brother consolidating his power and like, you know, starting some shit and, uh, you know, trying to eliminate his rivals at the same time. And it is a tricky situation because they've got his boy Satchel, mm-hmm. uh, you know they've the, the they're they're maybe vulnerable because they're you know I'm sure it's a little bit of a reach for their organization to to try to take over the uh, the stock the stockyards. Um, it's a really interesting political situation, and I love like Doctor Senator's breaking that down. It's like, hey, you know, if we're going to start shooting, you know, if you're going to start roughing up Josto's boy, we got to really be sure because if not, you know, we're 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 plunging our families in the war for nothing. Yeah, um, um, and I, I do wonder what the next step is here because obviously Rabbi, um, you know, shut down this hit uh, on the kid. Um, yeah, how's that going to play out? Jesus, is he going to go to Josto and tell him? Uh, it, probably, I assume he will. Um, how does that, yeah. you know, fall out between Josto and, and Gaetano? It's it's all you know it's stuff that I'm interested to see in future episodes. I had no I I don't why are they so abusive of the rabbi? I thought this was, this bad behavior was just because um you know they they hated black people and they were like intentionally being like neglectful towards Satchel, but it seems like nah, the rabbi Milligan is like the lowest man on the totem pole, which is why he got stuck with you know because yes, of course they're all racist towards Chat, uh, uh Satchel, but he kind of gets uh that responsibility because of his low status. Um why? Yeah, I, mean, I, probably I, that. I feel I felt like and, and like when he said uh, when he's, he's talking things over to Satchel and they're talking about playing the hand you gave and like being traded amongst teams. And he says, my team is shite is which team is he talking about Good his old question. team, the old, old team or the current team? Because they all look like shite to me from from his perspective. Yeah, uh, um, my guess is he's talking about what the, the Irish, which yeah. he he's. Actually, an Irish kid who grew up Jewish and then was traded Shot over to the his Italians. Irish dad, betrayed his to the Italians. But like, I don't sure. I'm not sure why. Because I thought when we heard Rabbi Milligan heard he is Irish that he was going to be kind of like a Tom Hagen uh, uh, type from The Godfather. Mm-hmm. You know, the adopted Irish son who's essentially Italian in in everything but name only. Right. Um, I, I I'm honestly shocked that he's being like seeing as this less than character. Um, which I think has a little bit of Miller's Crossing in in it too. I haven't seen uh, it this season seems like it's such a great blend of so many different 
Fargo concepts and also being self-referential to itself. Mm-hmm. Like now Fargo's got four seasons of mythos that it can start, you know, throwing in aces and things, uh, little, little things up its sleeve that it, uh, um, it can use for inspiration. Yeah. Uh, one of those things is, is nurse Orietta um, Mayflower. We, we haven't talked about her in this episode yet. She goes over, which is kind of what I expected. She goes over to the hospital where Dr. Harvard is is the administrator um, and gets a job there, and then has this bizarre hand job scene with uh, Josto on the parking lot, it, where she's singing the the battle hymn of the Republic to him while she's jerking him. I, it's weird, man. <laughs> it's hilarious and weird, and I loved it. Fellas, I, I if this ever happens going. to you, get out of the car, yeah, run. Yeah. This is not. <laughs> This is not a meat cute. Um, <laughs> this this lady is fucking crazy. Totally crazy, uh, man. But she's she's so, like the the Lauren Malva. Speaking speaking of like references back to uh, previous oh, Fargo yeah. seasons, she's that that other agent of chaos, right? The the almost malevolent agent of chaos, unstoppable uh, uh, force of of quasi supernatural evil. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, now yeah, she's yeah, embedding sure. herself in in higher places. Um, I, I don't know where this goes, but it's enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about in these scenes. Number one, Doctor Harvard who is the hospital administrator, I'm pretty sure they're going to reveal that that's not his real name. Like, this is going to be a literal doctor senator. Like, he was some German son of a German immigrant or oh. whatever whatever current wave of xenophobia he was on the previous way. His name's not fucking Harvard. No fucking way. <laughs> like, I'm, I, this is yeah. an internet guarantee lock that they're going to reveal that he was some kind of Dutch, Irish, German... You know, Grant, his daddy was barefoot and alcoholic or some kind of shit, and he's he's playing the same uh, deal that Doctor Senator's trying to play a little bit more successfully because he's white. Sure. Um, but but they also make this point of like you know like how easy it is for people in these trusted positions, and you can think of like priests, mm-hmm. doctors, nurses, cops. How easy it is for them to go from place to place with just kind of like you know you know the job, you know the lingo. And you say the right things and they're overstaffed. And it's kind of like once you're what it, whenever you can get into the circle of trust mm-hmm. uh, that you're, you know, pardoned expression aces. And here she is. She's going to, you know, old, old boy, she's going to get to start killing again. Um, but then you see Josto like, uh, uh, yeah, like like spying on on Harvard. And when she just jumps in, oh, <laughs> he's sitting I, in the parking lot making finger guns up at the window, which. I don't know. I just imagine myself a bystander walking past his car, looking at him, looking at the window, going, what the hell is he doing? What is, what's happening? She loads up his nose, gives him this rapid fire. The Battle in the Republic, a lot of people don't know this, but it's, it's actually was written as an anti-slavery marching song for the Union Army. Like, it's literally about stamping out the evil of slavery. And, you know, everybody just knows the first uh, couple bars to it. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is another level of irony here that you've got this woman they've broadly established as, you know, pretty baseline 1950s racist, mm-hmm. you know, given this dude who's also ra- both the target of racial discrimination himself and the perpetuator of this rapid fire handy to an abolitionist's, so- uh, you know, rah-rah song. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
the irony runs real, really fucking really fucking deep mm-hmm. um and, and this whole scene is, is a whirlwind right it, like he doesn't he doesn't even know who she is uh in, in this scene she's just like i don't this strange woman who enters his car gives him coke jerks him off and leaves it's very feels very similar to like Lauren Malvo's relationship to, with Morgan Freeman's character in the season one, where it's like you know <laughs> Martin Freeman, yeah. What oh, I said, Morgan, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would like to see Morgan Freeman playing uh, that character, yeah, uh, with the Minnesota accent and everything. But yeah, no, uh, it, the, the way they kind of blew in and out of each other's lives, and like every time it got slightly worse. Mm-hmm. I wonder though, because like. Okay, we talked about this last two episodes. I'm starting to think that he didn't really authorize that hit against his father. I I wondered that when it happened. I was like, was he just talking? Um, and and she's and picking so up on the wrong high, things, right? Uh, sure, yeah. yeah. And then the fact that he didn't remember meeting her two other times because of the drugs and all that kind of stuff. Like, uh-huh. I I don't know. I I don't know. That seems it seems pretty. It, pretty crazy and the fact that this is set up to happen again because every time he asks her like well what's your name or number she's like haha you silly person yeah um i mean that's when she finds i mean what happens when she finds out that not only does he not know her but like doesn't know all the things he like that that's going to be a tense scene yeah especially if there's a little bit of like you fucking killed my father added to it i don't know he might get a pie in the mail the only thing I guess we got left to talk about is there's this really good scene with Swanee where she's talking about uh, what haunts people, what what thi- what gets haunted. It's not houses, it's not things, it's individual people, um, and it's a pretty spooky scene. Like it shows Ethel Retha's mom, like uh, you know, like listening to her talk secondhand about her family being cursed. I guess first of all, let's talk about that. Ethel Rita's family's cursed. Apparently, what do, you, what do you think of that? What do you think about that? I don't really know what to make of it. Uh, it's a claim that they make. We'll we'll see if that's true. I guess it, se- it seems like Swanee is. You think she's taking the pro or anti position? That like, well, like if if houses can't be cursed and it would stand, and only people can, only individuals can, then the idea that you'd have a family curse is nonsensical. That it's you know you're as cursed as you want to be. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I suppose she could be saying that. Um. But I don't know this. Uh, this uh, it's also interesting. Swanee, like another individual melting pot. Her mom, apparently, some sort of uh, plains Indian. Her father, a Chinaman who worked on the railroads, uh, stitching this country together. See, can, uh, can we famously, <laughs> famously the target of a lot of racism themselves, the Chinese West Absolutely. Coast immigrants. Yep. Uh, uh, here's the thing. I, I got to admit. I was so focused on this fucking pie during this scene that she's chowing down on. <laughs> I only caught the barest essentials of what she was even saying uh, and what the scene was about. Well, so. it's a lot. Of, it's also like a lot of nonsense like this. Or, so everything she says got more and more improbable. And they all they also um, preamble it by with like, oh, they're, we're just telling tales here. But she talks about her father being a Chinaman who then could hear whispers on the breeze and then eventually lived in a cave with a coyote. And then the coyotes start howling in the background of the scene. Okay. Which Fargo was fuck. But she said that like her daddy had one, two shadows, one for himself, one for the devil. And then at night, and here's where it gets weird. Like at night he would hug me too tight. 
And I'm not sure if this is, you know, another addendum to her, like, you know, trying to rape the Indian out of me versus uh, just saying that her father was so traumatized that he held his family so tight that it like, was painful. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not like I could you could read almost anything into that. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll have to see. But like for some reason, her and Zelmer, Zelmera, Zelmer don't seem like they're touched by this curse. Even though, like, they're just very lighthearted and, you know, matter of fact about it, uh, mm. they're not. They don't. They don't appear to be haunted at all. But yeah, I don't know. Can a fle- can a non haunted woman smoke an entire cigarette in one pull? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on the 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp, starting April 3rd. All right, Jim, I think that's going to about wrap it up for our thoughts on Fargo this week. But we got uh, a bunch of people sent in feedback to Fargo at baldmove.com. Speaking of a lot, Jim, we got a lot of feedback about one thing. Do you remember what we said immediately after hitting stopping record on last week's podcast? No. We said, uh, damn it, we didn't mention the captive bolt guns in the stock ro- the stock the stockyard takeover scene. Yeah. How that's a no country for old men reference. Which it was a great scene too. Like I loved how every single time one of those went off and you heard the cow drop, everyone uh-huh. jumped and like drew their guns at each other. Uh but yeah, in in four hours of Fargo uh, to cover, we we left that one off, and a lot of people I, I told I, us that we missed it. I thought I briefly mentioned uh, the sound effects um, in that scene, and I might, might have, have mentioned that that it was a thing, but definitely I didn't mention that it was from No No Country. 
Yeah, but yeah. So yeah. David is the first guy to send that in, and and uh, I we thought about turning it on and like f- just shoehorning it in somewhere. And it's like you know what? Let's let the let's uh, let's 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 like let's get the people contributing here. So sure. thanks for keeping us on the straight and narrow captive bolt. I do believe someone's going to be killed by the hands of those captive bolt guns before the season's over, though. Absolutely. I mean, you've got a battle over the slaughterhouses. There's no way that doesn't come into play. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um. Eddie says, uh, I for sure can't wait to see more of Timothy Oliphant, and I also really enjoy how Rabbi Milligan isn't just some random person. His character is interesting. It seems to me that Milligan is willing to betray his family because he has shown much more respect from the Italians than he did from his own family. I wonder if he takes Satchel and shows him how much more respect than Cannon does, and Satchel betrays him and fully joins with Milligan, changing his name to Mike Milligan. I Like I said... I think that's an interesting theory, and I do think there's going to be some kind of unification here, as they've suggested. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't see why Satchel would betray Ro- Loy. Like Loy seems like he's always trying to done right, but on the other hand, his oldest son is being dis- de- estranged from him. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really calculate that into my 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 factorings of who's going to win the the gang war, but. Um, yeah, I, I was trying to think, Jim. Uh, I was trying to think like, oh, does Rabbi show him that much more respect than Loy does? I don't know. We haven't really seen Loy too much with Satchel, um, but based on you know what we see with him and uh, Lemuel, y- yeah, you could maybe see the like, okay, it's not about necessarily the lack of respect there. It's more about like directing his life and pushing him in a direction, and uh, maybe one that you know Satchel doesn't want to go in. Maybe he wants to be more like Lemuel. I don't. I don't know. Um, we got to see more about yeah. it. I mean, it, it's uh, from what I can see, like Lloyd definitely loves his kids, but it might be more of a tough love, like more of uh, you know, this is how the real world works, kids. You know, kind mm-hmm. of um, stiffness to it. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but then again, what is zero? I guess uh, Josto's kid. What is he? What is, what's he getting? Like. We have no idea, really. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, there is that one scene uh, when they're about to trade, yeah. right? And and he, you know, he's trying to like. It seems like he's giving him some decent advice. I don't know, but it's it's that same kind of Machiavellian, you know, right, real right. politic kind of like hard boiled. Where I know is Josto like with a little kid like that. Maybe he's a little bit more loving. Um, and, for for the world they're but, living in, but he's treating him like his he's treating him like his son for better or worse. Absolutely. Whereas yeah. Satchel's just getting fucked over yeah. at the Fada place. You know, he's getting he's getting the Rabbi Milligan deal, which is not a good deal. No, not a good, not in line with the contributions he's putting into the family. Let's let's just put it that way. And I get the impression um, that uh, Rabbi at least had his own room until Satchel moved in. Uh, you know, he was he was quarantined. He was relegated to the attic space. But he at least had his own room. Now he doesn't even have that. Now he's bunking. Yeah, he's bunking yeah. with this kid, which he doesn't seem to mind. Like there's this like uh-huh. scene where he's like, "Hey, if I don't come back, I'm either dead or in jail. Mind your studies." Blah blah. Yeah. They're also playing as Mark. What is the utility of playing Marco Polo in a room where you both see each other and not? I don't know. That that was so weird to me. I tried poking around to see if there's some kind of like '50s fad or some kind of joke or something about like. But yeah, I I don't I I don't know I don't get it. I don't either. Uh, I will say the kid playing Satchel is like impossibly cute. Like mm-hmm. the way his eyes go like dinner plate wide when uh fucking Gaetano is 
carving up the scene and eating it is yeah. really uh I, I i love seeing epic mouthful has the next feedback probably stating the obvious regarding a significance to oretta's last name uh, this is May, May, Nurse Mayflower we're talking about. In a season where his major theme is, per, appears to be immigration, racism, and Americanization, the name Mayflower may well be a nod to the theme, of course, Mayflower. Uh, the, the We all know. It's the boat that took the pilgrims across, landed on Plymouth Rock. Mm-hmm. Mo- or perhaps more than a nod, especially since she's essentially been this season's quote-unquote angel of death. As Indigenous People's Day approaches, I can't help but think of one of the more famous Malcolm X quotes from the film, We didn't land on Plymouth Rock, Plymouth Rock landed on us. Hmm. Makes me really look forward to the havoc Nurse Mayflower is going to wreak this season. Yeah, we talked about uh, Swanee and Zel- Zelmera, or Zelmer, um, and we talked about Gaetano, but yeah, Nurse Mayflower, she's she's a real, real agent of chaos. Yeah, I don't know where they're going with her. But we'll see. Is she going to be the ace up uh, Josto's sleeve? Is she going to be the one that can kill Gaetano because he just doesn't see her as a threat? Maybe. Um, she scalpels him. I don't know. I'm trying to like see Poisons what getting his... into Dr. Harvard's hospital gains anybody um, other than just yeah, giving he her a job. The, he won't let the Italians in. Right. But, and uh... he's certainly not going to let the blacks in. So... <laughs> the fuck like where does where does that intersect with anybody else in this show and i don't think we've seen the leads in yet so i couldn't tell you it's his way of killing it's his it's the easy answer is his it's his way of killing dr harvard because you know, be. he wants her to make macaroons anyway she could poison the macaroons she can also i bet that limoncello is pretty bitter pretty sour uh-huh. i bet it could hide some strong medicine it's actually if, very if very known- sweet Surprisingly. Is it? Yeah. But still, so you could put a lot of like, you could grind up an aspirin. Oh, yeah. Per se. Probably. And you wouldn't be able to, yeah. Like you, you could grind, you could grind some bitter, fast acting medicinal shit and it would completely mask the flavor. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that this guy's showing just swilling a lot of this uh, uh, Italian Mountain Dew. I'm, I'm, yes. Uh, that's essentially what it is. <laughs> that, that might be, that might be another, another where, uh, thing where she can fit in her skill set. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be, I don't know. I don't, I don't think she, well, but like, I don't care about that this, is the problem. No? I don't give a shit really? if they kill Dr. Harvard. No, like, but, but Gaetano, it, it doesn't, it, that's the trouble, right? It doesn't intersect with any other plot. I don't care about Justo getting his revenge on the guy who turned them away. That's not super compelling but, to me. It is the screen, so but but it it's okay. So you got all these like I feel like these systems of checks and balances on the show and the plot because like if he continues to sh- put the screws to Harvard, it's going to increase law enforcement focus on him. That's already too focused. Like um, uh, Weff, Detective Weff said last episode, just fucking mm-hmm. leave this Doctor Harvard guy alone, and I can probably fix it. Unbeknownst to Josto, Weff is being brought off that case so he can no longer fix it. And also Josto's going full-fledged into his revenge scheme. So it's like that will apply heat to other elements of the plot I think you do care about. But it I is guess very... If they can make a connection between the nurse and him. But I, I, he can't even make that fucking connection, right? Like, he doesn't even know who she is. How how are the cops going to... But it, it would be interesting uh, for him. Well, that's... Yeah, I guess... That would be the ultimate cat's paw. You're right, because why would they jump to the nurse being a tool of the mafia? I don't know. Yeah, I really but, don't know. Um, maybe they yeah. could connect her somehow. You know, back to to 
Donatello, um, and then just get some ideas. I, I don't know. We haven't seen like how smart is the U.S. Marshal yet. Um, how smart is Deffy? How effective is is uh, Wef going to be at at covering tracks? Like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I want to say he's real smart just because Rayland is, but right, right, right. I'm trying not to lean too much on his older, his other characters. Yeah, how much are they going to lean? Because you know, Raylan also wasn't a racist, as far as I could tell. Right. So, um, Kevin from NYC, what's up, guys? Super glad to have the show and your podcast back. Well, thanks, Kevin. We are too. You touched on Salvatore Esposito as Gaetano last week, and I feel okay. So this is this is a direct uh, response to our mocking the man's performance. Uh, I feel obligated to toss my two cents into the bald move Fargo Fountain about this guy and the Italian series he's known for, Gamora. This show is fucking awesome from top to bottom, and no spoilers. But Esposito, as one of the leads, does a phenomenal job of playing a fun-loving party animal turned ambitious psychopath and a ruthless Italian crime syndicate outside Napoli. Is that how you pronounce it, Napoli? Mm-hmm. Ten out of ten. High recommend on uh, Gamora, which conveniently enough sounds like it's going to be available on HBO Max this winter. One drawback is having to read subtitles unless you're a true. Madre Lingua Pazano, like Mr. Jones here. No. Excited to continue to Fargo journey with you boys. As uh, long as they're yeah. talking about uh number of years they've been doing something. I can pick up numbers. <laughs> I can pick up the word Ani. I can pick up a few things. If they're ordering food, you probably can hang with that. Sure, pizza, I got. I got that one. Asking asking where the nearest bathroom is. You, those, all those things. You wouldn't mm-hmm. have to bother reading the subtitles for them. But I, we actually had two or three people uh, make the same recommendation, um, which I'm going to see how the season goes, and then I might check that out because I'm always in the mood for like a mafia film and like our like a real fucking Italian mafia film. I don't That's, think I've ever seen one of those. Yeah. A spaghetti mafia film? Absolutely. You know? I, th- th- it is on my list of things that I need to see now because I'm curious too. Like, what did the Italians make when they make mafia films? Uh, yeah, mafia man. It's super authentic. It's got to be, right? It's not I would think so. Chef Boyardi, Chef Boyardi shit that uh, Coppola Scorsese's and, uh, putting out Scorsese's there. Scorsese's pushing come out. Yeah, come on, Pizza Hut. Make way. Make way for the real shit. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Judah comes in saying, after watching the first two episodes of season four, I have a prediction about Rabbi Milligan's role in the season. In the beginning of the first episode, each time there's a power shift between the families, young Milligan was instrumental in the overthrow. A piece of dialogue I found interesting is during the exchange of the son, the rabbi tells the Fada boy, be who you need to be, don't forget who you are which I believe could very well apply to the rabbi, given his past and the emotional nature of his scenes of betrayal. The factors combine, these factors combined with the expectations of the fadas not keeping their power leads me to believe that the rabbi might inevitably betray the fadas. I think this would be a great twist for the season and that it would provide some sort of consistency through the story I'm being told. Any thoughts on this theory? Is it plausible or am I reaching? Yeah, I like it. Um, he has been conspicuously involved in every betrayal that we've seen on screen. So let's do it. One more. Yeah, I think because uh, I was thinking about merging the families, but maybe that won't work. Maybe it's going to be more of like a one sided takeover facilitated by uh, Rabbi Milligan. Um, it's almost not even a yeah. twist, right? Like 
when when the guy who's known for betraying families betrays another family at the end, it's not even a right. twist. It's just the right. natural consequence. Uh, yeah, he's trying to find that she's like LeBron James. He's going around the league trying to find a not shite team that he can take to the finals. You know, like all right, hey, Michael Jordan didn't <laughs> take, do that. Michael Jordan just got it. on a team and made it the team he wanted. That's true. true. Put him on his back and took him to the promised land. <laughs> right. But yeah, he's 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 taking his talents. He's going to take his talents to the the Cannon family. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think it's interesting, and I, like I said, I, I feel like, like you said, it's almost not even a twist. It's like, is it foreshadowing to say to show? You know, it's like, oh, I think Littlefinger is going to come up with a scheme here. Like it's, they, <laughs> right. they, they they subverted that by having him. Oh, actually, no, he got outthought by a teenage girl. <laughs> they did, yeah. Uh, so the twist here is going to be Rabbi. It doesn't betray the family, right? He goes, he goes to the right. map for him. Right. Yeah. Satchel outfights him easily. Uh huh. Um, Picks up a kitchen Jacob's knife, a, takes takes one oh, right to the heart. Three kitchen knives. Mm-hmm. My God, we got a we got a three kitchen knife theory going on now. Uh, place your bets. Place your bets at Lloyd. Like I, I do love those scenes of uh, Lloyd's criminal organization. They're running numbers. They're doing uh-huh. credit card stuff. They're doing it's just like money's just rolling in like crazy. Jacob says this may be a stretch. Is anything a stretch in the Fargo universe? Though I mean. Literally, a UFO could land in the middle of this thing, and it would not be outside the envelope, right? True. I mean, that's one of the infuriating and also fun things about the show, right? Yeah, I, I mean, a fish, re- a fishnado could definitely come through. They've already fishnado could tornadoes. That's true. That's why God sends us a fishnado to keep your <laughs> fucking podcaster. Uh, humble about what can come out of Fargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob continues after rewatching the show from the beginning. I love how in season one, episode three, Lauren Malvo says it's a dog eat dog world. But in season four, episode two, there's an exchange between Cannon and Milligan where Milligan says, I'm teaching him how the do- world works. It's dog eat dog. And Cannon says, that's not how dogs work or that's how dogs work. That's not how men works. Yeah. Is it coincidence or genius? Y'all decide big fan of the show. Keep it up. Well, thank you. Um, I, I, it's not no, coincidence. I'm not convinced it's genius. I'm I'm convinced it's you know people who are aware of the things they've done in the past, which is nice. Yeah, no, like I like I said, Fargo's matured to the point where it's not just pulling from the original Coen Brothers canon. It's got its own canon. Pardon the pun, Deloy. Right. Uh, that you know, like it's now informing itself. You know, Aces mm-hmm. is a callback to season one, not to any. Coen Brothers film I can think of. Uh, Dog Eat Dog World is not as callback to, you know, Miller's Crossing or The Man Who Wasn't There. It's a callback to another season. Um, but again, you know, just like those, it's always been the case that you didn't have to be aware of the Coen Brothers original source material to, to I because I, I, I don't want people to accuse me of selling them a false bill of goods. I said you could jump in at season four. Yes, there are callbacks, just like there's always been callbacks in Fargo to other Coen Brothers films, but it's not like you had to see even the original Fargo to understand. You didn't have to see Miller's Crossing, The Man Who Wasn't There. Any, but None of that stuff is required. You you might get more out of it and see some of these inside jokes, but it's not. you're not going to be struggling to figure out the plot. So, no. From a shadowy person known only as S. Hey, guys, long-term listener and supporter. Well, thank you. Writing in to talk about Fargo. I forgot how much I miss the show and its world. I think no matter how it ultimately shakes down, my money is going to be on the canon side to prosper, uh, though not without a few key setbacks or losses. Based on the scene in the park, Loy, after trying to get Don Fada to see that they aren't different, steals a peanut from Don Fada's bag without him knowing, noticing. 
Huh. If Don, if Don Fada appeared to pick up what Loy was really saying, it died with him. The Fada brothers are so divided amongst themselves, while also being intently untrusting of and focused on making sure the cannons feel appropriately in fear to them, despite being in a deal, the Italians will underestimate and or fuck up royally as evidenced in the third episode. Um, well, see, that's the thing. Like, did the Italians underestimate, like, if Gaetano's hit had gone off, I don't know if that's good for the Fada family, but it's certainly good for Gaetano's leadership of it, because that would commit them to a course that would probably lead to Josto being frozen out, I'd think. Yeah. Um, hmm. Does Josto because it's, pick up that, that torch and run with it, I guess? He might not yeah. have any choice, right? Like, if the war comes to him, maybe right. he steps up like, and leads in that, but... Yeah, yeah it's like his, his plan didn't fail. It was thwarted from the inside. It's hard to gauge, like how effective because you know usually these kind of reigns of terror it's like whoever whoever goes to the mattress first and hardest and protects his people more and kills the other guy is they're the ones that win the war like it's once it gets to the mattresses it's it's a lot of the strategy and logistics kind of go out the window it's it's yeah. uh you know killers versus killers uh um, no, I, I mean and i don't think it's gonna go the italians way just because of what i know about history um yeah this is this is the the slide of the Italians here. Um, yeah. So I, and, and you know, this show kind of set us up for that in episode one, where it was showing all of the rise and fall of these other organizations. Mm-hmm. So That's expect session, another man. one. This is sort of just the passing of the torch to the, the black mafia. Uh, I'm glad that the funeral home mother and father and daughter didn't eat the pie. It's a very cautious mindset to not eat food that you don't know where or who it came from and still not eat it when you do. Yeah. If you just went outside and there's a pie, anonymous pie, on your front porch step, you eat that thing? Hell no. Absolutely not. Uh, I will say, I'm glad the funeral home family, the, I'm glad the Smutneys did not eat the pie. I am glad someone ate the pie. I, I yeah. would have been extraordinarily disappointed if no one ate that pie. There's still a lot of pie left. I'm wondering if uh, if they eat it. Or if the fact that like you had someone's mouth on it, because it's not like she carved a piece and ate it. She just was just <laughs> sure. tucking in that pie like an animal. Uh, um, I, I wonder if that uh, that particular Chekhov's pie has has done firing its last gastrointestinal round. We'll see. It's clear that it won't kill you. Yeah, like, we there's speculation about like what kind of concentrate, but like you know we got a pretty good idea what it's going to do, which is going to make make your gastrointestinal system miserable. Um, he, they continue the unquestioning acceptance and faithful care that the father showed for the pie, even in the stress of the marshals coming in and Swanee ate it freely because it was free and tasty. So why question it? I just, uh, just dig in. Both of these show a lot of insight into these characters. And I bet that the mother threw the pie away since it'd been picked over, not sliced. Ah, see, that's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Although is Swanee really an idiot? Cause like, I don't know that people announced like, Hey, we just found in a mysterious pie. It's more of like. That got buried in the police raid, and yeah, yeah. yeah I don't think Swanee's dumb or anything. I I think you know she ate a pie that she was sitting on the table. Like, here's the thing. Here's the difference. Like, I see a pie that's put on my front porch. I don't eat it. I I throw it immediately in the trash. I see a pie sitting out on a friend uh, of the family's countertop, and I have mm. no problem thinking, oh, that's a pie I can eat. 
Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Or you come home and there's a pie on your kitchen table. Like, uh-huh. oh, I didn't didn't know they're cooking today, but shit, there's a pie. I'm on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, why I'm, not? I'm, I'm I'm with that. Yeah. I did love the uh, the dad just carrying this pie around, like not not dropping it because I yeah, cause hands to me up, citizen <laughs> as an audience member, like I want to see this pie go off, right? And every opportunity they gave him to drop the pie on the ground and ruin the pie Which, so no one can eat it. Yep. I'm thinking, please don't drop that pie. That's, they gave me exactly what I wanted in every step along that path they did it's such it's such great like i love the little touches because i found myself thinking the same thing and noah holly's kind of like got his hand on my shoulder as he exits every scene (laughs) it always Uh goes back to the pie like i know don't relax there i haven't forgot about this fucking pie let me tell you uh i thought that was really cool i love we talked about the scene transitions all the different like way they block off stuff and do transitions i love the one that like dissolved into the front of uh um, the car, the, yeah. the, that purple wagon that uh, Rabbi Milligan is rolling around in, which is a beautiful car, by the way. Yeah, it's a lot of really those like just just artistic touches um, that Holly's known for. Even the the careful use of color in everyone's dress and grooming, and the mm-hmm. backgrounds and the cars, like it just it just really it just really pops. Yeah, the one guy um, who, who's trying to do the hit this episode has like this red coat that matches his red car. Yeah. And- I, I couldn't help to but see that he's like coordinated top to bottom in his life, not just his wardrobe. Yeah, that guy looked amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, the skeleton, the the cannons called him the skeleton, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, S concludes between the one in the lighthouse and the two attacks so far in Fargo. Is this the year of prestige farts? <laughs> it it might be. <laughs> I've never seen more prestigious farts That's in true. all my life. You know, That's true. Hmm. You got you got this and uh, blazing saddles for prestige farts. Um, hmm. It's uh, it's it's a brave it's a brave new world we're plumbing. I can't wait to see twenty twenty one informed by the year of the fart. <laughs> uh, Harris writes in. I love the season so far and don't want to nitpick when it's good. But anyone else think Aitano Fada is just wrongly cast? Maybe it's because he looks like Farva from. <laughs> Maybe it's because he looks like Farva from Super Troopers, or maybe it's his absurdly mm. big eyes, but I just don't believe his performance as this line in the jungle badass of all badasses from Italy. Like I said, I'm loving it this season, but this character just isn't working for me because of the actor. Um, I feel you. Is it the actor or is it the, the direction or, you know, what is it? Like he's, yeah, they want us to believe that he's some kind of, you know, uh, grade A predator here, but also... He's a complete goofball. So, uh, I don't know. They're, they're going to need a couple of scenes to really impress me with his his ferocity. Yeah. Because so far, all I've seen of him is the goofball. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a little tough, but I, I have faith that this guy can be for this ferocious character. Like, I'm mm-hmm. waiting for him. Like, this is Joe Pesci in uh, uh, Home Alone. Sure. And you're like, oh, how can that guy look at you? How can this guy, how can the wet bandit make me shit my his, my pants in a cinematic scene? And then you see Joe Pesci with the kitchen knife going to work on some dude yeah. uh, or or smashing, sque- crushing some dude's head in a vice or something. And it's like, oh, oh, yes, yes, he's terrifying. So uh, let's see if he's got that gear. Everyone says he does. I would hate to say otherwise. Uh Travis, is it wrong to think if I think that the episodes that Holly didn't direct are better? I know the first two episodes did a lot of heavy lifting, but still, this one felt more well-rounded. 
Um, I didn't notice a big drop in the directorial quality. Um, no, I, I do think that there is a little bit of, of a very technical proficiency um, that uh, a little little Wes Anderson-y, like in the rigid blocking and shot composition and something. It's a it's not exactly stilted. It just feels very, very kind of rigid and uh, and technical um, Kubrickian a little bit if you want to go more of the serious and less of the whimsy. Um, but I don't I don't think that's bad. Like, I, th- I think Wes Anderson is 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 really good. Yeah, and I I admire that kind of discipline um, the, w- w- when you have it when it's just not just handy cam and shit like that. Like that's the boys, right? Is there a single fucking shot on a tripod in that show? <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Like like e- even even when it's just like two guys talking, I feel like there's there's someone bobbing and weaving in the box with the camera. But uh, that's not this. Uh, also, I said thank you for mentioning the dark figure in the middle of the street. I thought I was going crazy because no one online is mentioning it. I'm pretty sure that's Deffy. I'm pretty sure it's that's the the person standing in the middle of the street is Deffy. Like it's it's very similar to the way they're dressed. It's very hard because they're backlit and and the scene is got motion blur over the entire thing because it's a continually panning shot. But that's I I don't know why they foreshadowed that like literally five seconds before it happens. But yeah. Um, Nathan V. Uh, this is a pretty lengthy take on, uh, I think, if a former Mormon about the uh, accuracy of the Mormonism depicted in the show. So uh, I think it's pretty interesting. Nathan V says, I love the episode and wanted to write in and give my take on the one part that I actually had experience in or experience with, which is Timothy Oliphant's character of Deffy and his Mormonism. I was a Mormon for the first 24 years of my life and found a lot of what Oliphant was saying to be very true, especially to the Mormons of the time. I want to list them out here for anyone that hasn't had a lot of interaction with the Mormon church, hopefully in a neutral way. So it's not to fit any of her too much, which I appreciate. Um, one, the Book of Mormon, which Mormons hold to be more correct than the Bible. That's the play? <laughs> that doesn't seem right. Like, I don't no. know that that's a... <laughs> no, there is such a thing uh, uh, for people. I, I know you're making a joke, but for yeah, people yeah, who yeah. don't know, there is a literal Book of Mormon. Yeah. Yep, it's the untold story. Well, he's about to tell us the story. It's indeed an account of a Jewish family who sails to America on a boat in 1600 BCE during the first fall of Jerusalem. Uh, the family splits into two tribes, the Nephites and the Lamanites. The latter are cursed with the skin of blackness, um, which is just literally what Timothy Oliphant says in this, this uh, episode. The Mormon church disavows this now, but it's definitely still part in their holy book uh, in Second Nephi chapter 5, verses 20 through 23. Wow. It's chapter and verse. Yeah, it's just about the, Mor- the parts you don't like of your holy book. Why not? Yeah, there's a lot in the Bible, both testaments about slavery and how a slave is supposed yeah. to treat their master. And that's, I don't that's, know that we... That's yeah. why God put them in there, so that in 2020, we could disavow big chunks of his texts. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, it's it only made, it's the divine plan. Who can question it? Mm-hmm. Mormons at the time wouldn't drink any caffeinated beverage due to the word of wisdom. It's now interpreted as only hot caffeinated drinks, such as tea or coffee, and Mormons today can and do drink plenty of soda. Interestingly enough, my Mormon friend would not. Uh, he abstained from alcohol and any caffeinated beverage, um, cold or hot. So, like, I don't know if that's one of those... Uh, um, you know, it's like there's this apocryphal story about the I, I forget when the Pope said you didn't have to eat fish on Friday. Like it was and like uh, there's some kind of conclave and they asked this like devout nun about it. And she's like, what are you going to do, sister? And she's like, well, I plan on eating meat this next Friday and then never again. Like 
Hmm. <laughs> like I want to, I want to eat meat once to show that I respect the Pope, but then what if the Pope's wrong? I want to go back eating fish. So like, it's like, Hey, you know what, God, I'm uh, still rolling the old rules. Cause like, what, what the fuck? Hmm. Um, and uh, that, that Mormon's a Gen Xer. He's like, he's my age. So I don't know. That might be a, a split. Uh, Oliphant mentions that he's a priest and a member of the 70. These are both ranks in the Mormon church. I assume he means high priest, which is a rank required to be a member of the quorum of 70, which is like a, re, uh, a regional leader. A priest is something they make every 16-year-old boy so that way they can help with the sacrament or mass of Mormonism. So being a Mormon priest is not as impressive as being one of the 70. One of the most accurate things I found about Oliphant's character getting offended uh, is him getting offended by the use of God and Jesus Christ, uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. To this day, I'm much more worried about accidentally saying, oh, my God, in front of my parents and dropping the more conventional swear words. Hmm. Uh, The Mormon extermination order that the chief police or the, the police chief mentioned was an order given in 1833, making it legal to kill the any Mormons in the state of Missouri. It's apparently a long history with wrongs committed by both Mormons and other Missourian settlers that I won't go into here. However, the order was only repealed in 1975, but no Mormons were legally killed after about the 1840s. Okay. <laughs> that must have been some seven years of, of Missouri history. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, Latter-day Christ. Um because of the first point mentioned in uh, Mormons in the 50s were definitely institutionally racist. Yes. Yes. That seems seems probably personally too the case for many. I'm not saying anything against individuals at that time, but several Mormon prophets condemned pretty much anyone who wasn't white as having earned their curse of darkness. Um, this justified African-American Mormons being denied many rights of membership of the church and many other injustices, such as the Mormon leader speaking out against the dangers of interracial marriages and the like which led to Utah being a very undiverse place, both religiously and ethnically, making the story Oliphant tells about running a bunch of Italians out of town seem all the more likely. Highly ironic that the Utah got the Jazz basketball team, mm-hmm. considering all that history. My two cents is that so far, this is one of the most accurate portrayals of a Mormon character from a time period like the 50s. Well, I uh, I don't have any expertise in it myself, other than a few friends I have, so I appreciate you dropping the line there. Nathan V. Um... All right, that's it for feedback for this episode. Again, if you'd like to send in more, Fargo at baldmove.com or there's our forums, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, there's usually an episode thread about Fargo or the, the latest episode if you want to discuss it with your fellow fans. Uh, but send it in, Fargo at baldmove.com if you'd like to see, see your words considered for the podcast. That's it for this week of Fargo. I can't wait for the fourth episode. I want to see uh, Gaetano's eyes roll out of his head at this point. Uh-huh. Um. And uh, I, I just really like I, I how long I'm going to wait till Josto and Gaetano go to blows because it seems like they're very that prov- they're provoking each other. And I mean, my money's on Gaetano. I don't I don't yeah. know how he's going to. I mean, I just Jost- doesn't roll around with a kitchen knife strapped to his belt. So he does not. He seems like a lover, not a fighter. Very yeah. much so. Uh, he's going to slow pump some babies into Gaetano, I assume. <laughs> that's his weapon of but choice. The, I mean, maybe that's the thing. The political, the political connections are what's going to save him. Could be. Know? Could be. He's going to have Gaetano deported. That would be kind of on brand, actually. Um, or of the zeitgeist of the time. Of this yeah. time. So, there you go. Uh, we'll be back next week. Fargo at baldmove.com. Until next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>